What's at the heart of content marketing? Why should I even do content marketing in the first place? How do I get the best results from it? If these are some of the questions you have, don't take our word for it. Let's talk content marketing with industry professionals. Discover its power and confront its challenges so that you can stand out from your competition. Join Ethan and Hendrik Baird from Baird Media and let's talk content marketing. So on today's episode, we've got Pranessa Nalia today. She's someone who I've been chatting to for a while and has been part of the networking meeting group that we've been having called Media Mind. And Pranessa has like a wealth of really interesting marketing information that she's been gifting us in the Media Mind group. So I figured, let me pull her in on the podcast, chat to her about kind of her career history, where she's at, and get some advice for small businesses. Uh, so Pranessa, can you introduce yourself? For all the listeners, I am Pranessa Nalia. I am a fractional CMO. So what that means is small businesses, SMMEs with probably up to about 50 to 100 employees in total, will come reach out to me and ask me to fill any marketing skills gap that they may have. So this could be anywhere from strategy, uh, people management in terms of their marketing department, establishing the marketing operation, constructing and monitoring campaigns, optimizing things and using data analytics to build smarter dashboards that can help make better business decisions. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your career history. Where did you start off and how did you get where you are today? So funny story, I actually started by studying architecture at the University of Cape Town. And um, I was kind of going into that, I was rather introverted and I felt that I needed to balance out, you know, my analytical mind with my creative mind. So architecture presented that opportunity to do so, being one of the, the kind of four key professions that culturally we're encouraged to go into. You know, it's medicine, law, engineering or accounting, right? It's always good with numbers, didn't always enjoy them, though. I enjoyed people more. Having the, the ability to engage with something that wasn't as predictable as a formula, as a calculation. You, know, you say something you would never know if you're pushing a boundary with someone or not. You only know when you get that feedback, right? So started off there and um, a lecturer sat me down and he said, look, do you really want to be an architect? And I said, truthfully, I don't think so. I want to be a sustainability expert. Like I'm very passionate about retrofitting sustainable technology and then also just designing passively, you know. So I want to, to do what I can to contribute to the development of housing, schools, and hospitals across South Africa and India. And he said to me, the thing is, if you really don't want to be an architect, it's not one of those careers that you can kind of wing it and get by. And so it just so happened I was working at a, I was shadowing at a firm, an architecture firm, where the moderator for our final exam came from that firm. There's a bit of friction in the departments at that time, and he failed me in my second year. So being a distinction student all my life, that really knocked me down. And it forced me to take a long, hard look at what do I want to do? What do I want to be? What really makes me happy? What lights me up? What is going to make me feel good? And the answer to that was working with people, going out and helping people, transforming lives. So with my student allowance in my third year, I was repeating my second year majors, doing my third year minors. And I went out and I said, well, let me go and do a fundraiser. Let me try and see what it's like to lead a team, learn some people skills, get more than just a piece of paper if I make it through this gauntlet. And uh, yeah, so during the course of that, I kind of just kept it hush-hush for a couple of months. In the process, we were teaching fashion model training, but we didn't have any restrictions on height, weight, nothing like that at all. I just wanted to 
help people see themselves in a different light, take that confidence and then go out into the world to do better at whatever profession they wanted to follow um, and teach them that there was so much more to modeling than what media, mainstream media presented it to be. So through that process, we actually prevented the suicide of a young lady and I got feedback about it in email. And I felt this really strong moral responsibility to keep it going. You know, I was willing to walk through fire. Culturally, defying your parents' wishes for you at that age is not necessarily the best thing. I think for me, that was a start of recognizing a power within myself to help people, transform people and say, look, change the criteria by which you live in your life. And for me, it became very quickly, am I hurting anyone? Am I, am I harming anybody? No. Okay, cool. Am I stopping the next person from doing what they want to do? No. So I didn't really see any reason for anybody to stop me <laughs> from achieving what I wanted. And it very quickly became clear to me that my two key strengths in a business context would be connecting with people and then connecting people with each other. And that sounded like marketing to me, you know, connecting a brand with an audience, connecting a stakeholder group with the actual brand, the positioning of the brand and what it stood for, its values, its mission. So I quickly changed tech. I went into a BA of corporate communication and I thrived. I was still running this fundraiser kind of UFO in the business world at that time. We knew we weren't an NGO, but we weren't a private company either. I was almost just running a fashion show as a sole proprietor. I was the youngest person on the team at that time, leading people probably three, four times my age. I met great people and we, we started attracting sponsors, major sponsors like City Varsity Cape Town. African Pride Hotels would sponsor venues for us and see what we were doing with kids. So we started transforming lives in terms of taking people who the system in our country would not have given a second look. We started transforming those lives to the extent that those people were able to put themselves through tertiary education by working in the fashion and entertainment industry. So it became full circle that people were starting to do and be better through our intervention. So kind of continued all the way up until 2019. and. Um, in that time, I had done a marketing internship at an FMCG company. I saturated the internship very quickly because, as you know, when you're working and studying, your development is probably twice the pace of your peers that are just studying alone. So always kind of being a busybody and balancing the two and then doing my internship, still running my own brand in Cape Town, so commuting between Durban and Cape Town. Six months into a 12-month internship, I saturated it. It was agreed by everybody. I was teaching more than I was learning. And so the best thing to do would be to give someone else an opportunity and for me to take a step back. I went directly into a management position at a fine arts uh, luxury goods company about six weeks later. I had a six-month contract there and then kind of went into a family business launching the concept of a good news company. So we wanted to just really spread positivity, you know, help people take their attention away from all the bad things happening in our country at that time. It was, it was quite hectic, the change in our political landscape, evidence of state capture coming out, and all these different inquiries. So the news was a dismal thing to follow in South Africa at the time. The resource capacity kind of changed. Six months later, I found myself working for Microsoft Partner, and I was working in the marketing department. I did a bit of training, internship, all the while still running my brand in, in Cape Town, so lots of commuting. And um, yeah, then I, I kind of spent a year there, came out, went into an agency for two and a half years. So that was took me to about May, June last year in 2021. And uh, ever since then, I took a step back and I've been running my own fractional CMO agency. So we have a group of super specialists in specific niches that we work with. And we specifically serve SMMEs. 
And now what we're doing is kind of disrupting the fabric of the agency landscape in South Africa. We're proving that it's possible to deliver that top-notch quality service and transformation for SMMEs in the marketing department, but without that kind of hefty fee, you know, starting at 20, 30 grand a month. And so what that's become is we're now serving clients across the world. So we have clients in the USA, clients in the UK, and quite a few countries in Europe. Brilliant. Yeah, that's a super interesting journey to get to where you are today. Very, very busy person. <laughs> very busy person. Yeah, I think it's it's a challenge when you love what you do. You actually look around you and you see it's very hard to pick that one thing. So I'm a firm believer that you, you know, you you go and explore and see what you're capable of doing. And if it doesn't work out, if it's not sustainable, can you hand the opportunity over to someone else? I think that's a key part in what's made us so successful. That's why the Media Mind group means so much to me, is because we're always sharing what we know and what we have with each other. So speaking of sharing, let's talk a bit about some marketing tips and advice for business owners. So your target market, SMMEs, what are some of the misconceptions that they have about marketing? The first kind of greatest one for me is that marketing is easy. <laughs> it's, it's because of the advent of social media and all these tools and knowledge that's at our fingertips. Marketing is unfortunately one of those professions where a lot of people come in and self-diagnose. You know, you wouldn't go into a doctor's room with a couple of symptoms and say, I have this condition. You'd go in for the test and say, doctor, please tell me you're qualified. You know, what's wrong? And what's the next step from here? Marketers most often are not treated with that kind of respect and authority in their profession. Very often people believe that because they kind of get caught by the trap of running a Google search and then reading the best SEO articles thereafter that, you know, they understand what it takes to be great marketers. And so they say, I need someone to come in and do marketing. But then they start telling the marketer what to do and how to achieve the goal. And the marketer with all of this wealth of experience and knowledge suddenly has no idea, okay, well, how do I navigate? Now I need communication skills because I know what to do in the marketing field, but the client's not actually enabling or empowering me to do that. So it ties in with one of the things we recently spoke about in Media Mind, which was non-marketers making marketing decisions. And my advice to all business owners as SMMEs, whether you're a corporate actually or, or whether you're an SMME, is really to guard against non-marketers being the ultimate decision makers when it comes to marketing strategies. You have to take some kind of risk and have an appetite to test things out. But most importantly, you have to trust the marketing professionals. And if you don't trust them, then I don't think you should be hiring them in the first place. An issue that I've seen very, very firsthand is when the upper management gets ideas or sees a course or sees or reads a book you want your management to know what you're doing, right? Like you don't want them to know nothing, but sometimes you almost want them to know nothing because then they can leave it to you. I've seen this issue prop up a lot where upper management gets an idea in their head and then they cast it down to everybody else and then everybody needs to jump and it completely disrupts their marketing cycle and disrupts the daily tasks that people have been working towards. So how do we deal with that? I think, you know, it's such a good follow on because that's why I mentioned communication skills in my previous answer. So the benefit of coming from a corporate communication background and genuinely having a love for people, combining that with my philosophy in life, which is to leave people in places better than when I find them. You know, it's like this kind of trifecta where you have to look at every kind of communication episode, every encounter that you have, whether that's the upper management, as you say, getting these ideas and filtering it down. 
You have to look and say that each person in this organizational structure is employed for the purpose of acting in the best interests of the business in their respective field. So when you trust a marketer, when you employ a marketer, you also, as a business owner, have to look and realize you're not just employing a marketer who is an order taker, you know, depending on this, especially if you're hiring a marketing manager, that person's coming with experience. They've been the order taker. They've seen the mistakes and they've learned they've got experience that's valuable to you. Trust them, give them enough resource and enough of a framework um, with which to build up your marketing. The communication skills, especially in South Africa, I find, but also now with this global village concept, you know, where, where we're borderless businesses, is this diverse culture we see. So East, West, and then kind of, you know, the African culture, Indian culture, Middle Eastern culture, all blending together in a business environment is such a wonderful dynamic because there's an opportunity to really understand each other's culture. The way that we all respond and react, it's different. It's informed by different heritage, by different decision-making frameworks. Even your gender can influence the way that you respond in a situation like that. Your self-awareness, your personal development and where you sit on that spectrum, it all influences how you push back, if you push back, when and what your motivation is going to be. So my advice to marketers who find themselves in that situation is to just take a step back and try and ask what the goal is. What are we actually trying to achieve? This idea that you have, is it more important for the idea to come to light and to, to be you know, given life? Or is it more important that we meet our original objectives, you know, which could have been laid out and usually are laid out beforehand? What you often find is, uh, I call them popcorn ideas. They'll change from week to week. And it makes it incredibly difficult for the marketers to sustain their ability to deliver the results. So if you're not clear with the results and you constantly have these great ideas, but you don't have a process for working them through the business and seeing which ones get resources, then you're running in circles in terms of your marketing as a business. The decision-making process for any and all ideas is absolutely critical to the business moving forward. Brilliant. Yeah, I think there's a bit of bravery that needs to also occur with this kind of stuff, especially, I don't know, there's, I think people sometimes have the fear of, if I push back, something bad's going to happen. The reality is that like, if you don't push back, and if you just go with everything, then ultimately, you don't get the results that the client or the manager or whoever is looking for. And then bad things do happen, right? So you do have to kind of advocate for yourself. Absolutely. I think in that situation, like I say, I read somewhere once that manners would get you much further than intelligence and intellect or, or even resources, you know, like money. And it's so true because people will think about their experience. You know, you can put me against someone else. And like I say, we're a relatively new agency. Our philosophy is get things done. And we've been pitted against, we've had to pitch against a couple of solid, you know, award-winning agencies. And Oftentimes, we win based on credibility, track record, actual results that we're producing. You know, we go in and we pitch for the trial and say, let the results speak for itself. Just on the basis of, again, non-marketers believe that certain awards kind of put you at that top 1%. The reality is they don't because it depends on which award you're winning. Many of them, you've got to apply or nominate yourself or, you know, it's actually just a marketing point. It's a list building strategy. Good marketers know list building strategies apart from awards, genuine awards, you know, where you've got nothing to do with that submission and it's bestowed upon you. That is a genuine award and it's worth kind of touting to your audience and saying, look, I've won this award. There have been times where 
because of the way that we push back, we've come out on top in that relationship. It's not to say that we kind of, you know, sit back and take anything from a non-marketer, but we understand what's important to the non-marketer, the business owner. It's to say, I want to be the best at this particular industry. I want people, when they think about options in this industry, in this product range, I want them to think about us. And so your job as a marketer is to do what it takes to get there. If you're going to stick very rigidly to a certain framework to do that, you're going to become obsolete very quickly. You're going to say, because of this model and this award, you know, we've done things this way. And you know for a fact, I mean, because it's always been done this way, it's probably one of the worst things you can say in marketing. So from that regard, just from our experience, we look and we say it's really about being dynamic, being flexible, the golden term. And I think this era of business is agile. If you are agile in every element of the way that you work, approach work, approach people, I think you're going to get a lot further than just sticking to the way things have always been done. Perfect. So where are the marketing trends that you are seeing currently? Where do you think things are shifting towards to maybe give a bit of your predictions based on what you're seeing now? Sure. So I think there's, there's kind of two main lanes to this. And the one is kind of keeping with this, this theme of non-marketers making marketing decisions. You know, I just had a conversation with one of my former colleagues briefly on LinkedIn about it. The advent of no code. And it's a beautiful thing. And it's also a very dangerous thing. It's to some extent enabling non-marketers making marketing decisions because they believe what they see thanks to no code and thanks to the ability, but there's a lot of work from programmers that goes into making this resource available. They believe that it's easy, it's quick, it's simple. And that's disadvantaging the people who are the technicians, who are the programmers, who write millions of lines of code to be able to make that functionality available. So I feel like, you know, in terms of the non-marketers making marketing decisions, I am seeing this advent of no code, but it's coming with a whole lot of marketing spiel. It's coming with, look at how great no code is. But we're not then, as responsible professionals in the marketing space, advocating and educating our clients and saying, look, no code is great, but in moderation. You know, that's the golden rule, everything in moderation, right? Anything that you enjoy, you have to look, there's a time and place. So I think agencies in general, we can do a lot better to educate our clients on certain tools. It depends on your level of transparency with your clients in terms of how you'd like to share what tools you're using and to what extent. I do think that when you discuss a tool, you have to talk about both the pros and cons. The other trend that I'm seeing just in terms of the marketing operation and the marketing process, a lot of people, again, hiring junior talent because it's cheaper. Your cost to company is a lot lower for a marketing intern, but then there's no marketing leadership in the organization. And that's particularly why we are focusing on a fractional CMO offering to make, you know, I mean, to hire a CMO full-time is probably upward of 60 to 90,000 to get a solid CMO at my level with 10 plus years of experience. And there's no way SMMEs, unless they've just raised proper series funding, are able to afford that. If you're bootstrapping, the business owner probably doesn't make that much. So in order to combat that, we're giving that experience and expertise from as little as it's, it works out to $200, 100 British pounds or 3,000 South African rand per month. And just to have access to that kind of strategic knowledge, we pride ourselves on keeping our knowledge like A-game knowledge, just knowing what's out there, knowing about these trends as you speak. This trend of hiring fractional talent needs to actually take on. We're seeing it now that we're having conversations about it, 
but it's a trend that I think more of us can talk about. And as agencies, more of us can offer fractional input to help grow the demand for marketing services in a more intelligent and sustainable way. So in terms of hiring junior talent, if there's no marketing leadership, it's happening. But I would caution SMMEs against it. It's a, it's a dangerous move. And if you don't have someone to manage that junior marketing talent, understand the language, teach the language. Again, like I say, you're running in circles. Yeah, something just like from a small business perspective that always blows my mind. Someone will be like, okay, I've got this business, my business I've been running for the last five years. I need to get on social media. So I'm going to get my niece to run my social media account for me, right? Like, okay, they're young. They understand technology so they can do it. And they don't really realize how much power they're putting into the hands of someone who is not experienced enough to handle that power. You know what I mean? Like people don't realize that posting something on social media may as well be posting something in a newspaper. Like it's got more weight than you realize. So like you're talking about like no code and we live in this cool era now where like tools and we have access to things that used to be hundreds of thousands of dollars kinds of things. Things that were locked away in vaults that only large companies have proprietary access to. Now we're getting all these amazing tools and devices and things that like, so it's democratizing that. But I think it's causing this chain reaction where people think that because of how available it is, because of how easy it is to get access to things, it devalues how difficult it is to actually, or how much expertise you actually need to run that. Like for example, I can't do Google AdWords properly. I do not offer Google AdWords because I know how to do it. I can log on to Google AdWords and I can make an ad. I can watch a YouTube video and I can make an ad. That doesn't mean I can run an AdWords campaign, right? So I think there's this thing of like, just because things are cheaper, just because things are easier to get access to, doesn't mean that you don't still need somebody with expertise to handle that for you. Absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head for me. And again, it speaks to why I value Media Mind so much is because, you know, that saying we rise by lifting others. That's really what it's about because in Media Mind, I've just valued everyone kind of sharing a bit and piece of their own journey and then offering something of value that others can choose whether they use or not. There's no imposition in that group. I mean, that's something I would encourage other marketers to, to come and be a part of, to get involved in the conversation for sure. You know, like you're saying, it comes full cycle, right? You hire a junior who's got no experience because you in your mind know what the bullseye is for your marketing department. Unfortunately, you don't know enough about marketing language that this person might have studied to actually communicate to that person what the bullseye is clearly enough. So they start working and they give it their best effort, but they're giving their best effort paddling in the wrong direction. And then suddenly you judge this person on their competency and their dedication and all these other things that it's just a misalignment, miscommunication. It was a bad leadership decision, you know? And then conversely, some people will also actually go and hire too senior talent in the organization. That's all strategy that can't take action because they've had so much experience only in the strategic pool. So for me, that's one reason why I enjoy working on the accounts, touching the campaigns, touching, you know, the data flow, seeing how everything works, setting things up. I touch every part of the marketing department and the operation, and I will always make sure that the quality requirements are very clear for our contractors and for our staff to adhere to. So everything that's going out to our clients is always quality check. And I think that I'm seeing more of that in our, our Media Mind group with processes being put into place, people kind of celebrating, hey, as an agency, we have a bigger role to play 
and where businesses are going. You've seen it with SEO, kind of the average kind of dog groomer is becoming a specialist in, you know, all different types of breeds because of SEO. And we're not balancing out where the machine should guide and the human should guide the way that we function in business. So I really love the fact that LinkedIn has blossomed as a, as a professional community. And, you know, the key select groups, I think, where we connected as well, Freelance South Africa, these are quality groups and quality platforms where we can connect and actually get value out both ways for agencies and for the SMEs. I've been working in radio for a long time before doing this. I did like audio post-production and radio. And one of the things that was really frustrating, and I could see the difference between one manager versus a different manager, was a lack of a good brief. So I have all these skills. I've been doing this for a couple of years now. Every single day, I can produce things. There's awards that shows that I can produce things. But if you give me like a one-sentence brief, I'm going to have to just interpret that in the way that just filter through my own interpretation and produce you something. And nine times out of 10, the person is unhappy with the result. Whereas a manager, and usually like a more middle manager who did the work at some point and now, or at least oversaw the work, can say, okay, here's a storyboard. Minute one, it needs to do this. Then it needs to go into this music. Then it needs to go into that. Please compile it in this way for me. You can take creative liberties in these parts. And then I could shine as like a junior audio producer, right? So I think it's that same thing that needs to come across with all aspects of businesses. Like you have to empower your junior team or just anybody in your team. And if you don't know what you're talking about, you can't empower them. So you have to find somebody who knows what they're talking about to help empower your team. A hundred percent. I mean, I couldn't have said that better because it goes back to what we're saying about leadership in your own team as well. You you have to, and even you as a head of the business, I think there's, a, there's quite a few business owners that kind of get caught in the, the circle and the loop of their own ego, where you say, you know, I am the head of the business and I'm the top of the business. And therefore what I say goes because I know the business, I know the market. And savvy team members, not just in the marketing department, are going to come and ask, but how do you know that? What data? Exactly. It's about data-driven decisions. And data is so ingrained into business operations, particularly now post-COVID. We're going towards this post-COVID business existence where hybrid and remote work, it's normal. This is what people expect now. And you go and you see, you have data. Whether you recognize or you see or you want it or not, you have data. Use it. Use it. Why, why wouldn't you? And when you're using it, make your entire operation better. You know, do something meaningful with the data that's there anyway, because rem through remote work, the data is being collected. And if not by your business itself, and certainly by Google, you know, you could pop onto Google Analytics as an example. And certainly there's a wealth of information there about how your market and, and the consumer marketplace is actually reacting and engaging with you. There's so much you can do with that to keep adding more value. And it just creates that cycle between what you set out to achieve as a business and then how you go about achieving it. Agreed. So this wraps up our discussion for today. Thank you so much for your time, Pranessa. The final thing I want to just find out is how can people get a hold of you? Tell us a little bit more about your company. Yeah, if somebody wants to work with you, how do they do it? Sure. So I'm sure this will be in the show notes, but I am available on LinkedIn. So just to spell out, that's P-R-E-N-E-S-S-A. Surname N A L L I A H. That's Pranessa Nalia. 
on LinkedIn. There's only one of me, so it should be pretty easy to find me. And I'm always open to people asking me marketing questions, business questions, whatever it is. Look, my job is to connect you with the people that you need to achieve your goals. So so by all means, reach out and I'll, I'll help wherever I can. Thank you so much for your time, Pranessa. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ethan. If you want to join the conversation, find Ethan and Hendrik on LinkedIn. Also, visit the Baird Media website to look at the range of content services we provide. You will find all the links in the podcast description. Next time on Let's Talk Content Marketing. Any sort of digital innovation that you see that's now um, you know, being popular in America and then I guess South Africa, probably South Africa, Egypt will probably be one of the first African countries to get it. We're like perhaps 10 years behind that. This has been a paid media production.